0: Before we jump into today's episode, I just wanted to wish all of the reception, front office, client services, client care teams out there a happy Veterinary Receptionist Week. Uh, it is from April 23rd to 29th this year, 2023. And so this episode will be coming out during Veterinary Receptionist Week. And I think that's very apt because our guest is, in fact, a veterinary receptionist and a rock star one at that. And like all of you, she is not just a veterinary receptionist. She has a super important job. And I don't like hearing people say i'm just a receptionist or i just work at the front desk i'm just in the phone room because you are on the front lines you are an absolutely vital part of each veterinary practice and every client experience depends on you. And that's a big responsibility, and um, I don't think we give that the weight that it deserves a lot of the time. So uh, I'm really glad that we have a week now to celebrate you, but um, you deserve to be celebrated every day. And Kelly Johnson definitely is a fantastic example of what it means to really treat veter- being a receptionist, being a CSR as a career and not something as a stepping stone on the way to something else, uh, if that's not what serves you. It is a legitimate career in and of itself, and you all do really important and wonderful work. And I just wanted to also say thank you to Erin Davis for introducing us. Uh, You said that I would love Kelly, and you were absolutely right. And everybody listening, if they don't already love her, is about to hear in a few short minutes. So... Happy Veterinary Receptionist Week 2023. Please enjoy this interview with Kelly Johnson. Hi, welcome back to Central Line. I'm your host, Katie Berlin, and my guest today is Kelly Johnson. Kelly, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Welcome to Central Line. I'm so excited for this conversation. Actually, we have two conversations. They'll be coming to you in parts one and two. Um, But it's because Kelly has so much to say and- is such a fun person to talk to that we couldn't fit it in one conversation. So that just gives you a heads up about what kind of person she is. So, Kelly, welcome to Central Line. It's really exciting to have you here. Oh, it's so exciting to be here. Thank you so much. Can you give us a little bit of background about yourself and how you came to be sitting here?
1: Oh, my goodness. So uh, I grew up in Wisconsin, and my accent every so often will come out. So you Upper Great Lakes people will think I sound very normal um, but I now live in Boston. I call Boston home, so sometimes the Boston accent comes out. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so I grew up in Wisconsin. i got uh, a liberal arts degree. I started off as a music Woohoo! major. <laughs> Go liberal Yay, arts! liberal arts! I love the liberal <laughs> arts. I think everyone should taste a little bit of everything that's out there, especially when you're so young and it's hard to know who you want to be when you grow up, because I'm still trying to figure that out. Yeah, same. Um, And yeah, I I taught for one year, and I wish somebody had sat me down and went, are you sure you want to teach? Don't regret the degree, don't regret the experience, but it just wasn't for me. And like most people, I wandered in the wilderness trying to figure out what I was going to do, Decided at one point with some weird epiphany that I was going to go to grad school after deciding I was never going back to school. So I think di-
0: that's how most people get to grad school. Like, it not necessarily vet school, but like grad school for sure. It seems like it's a, a disease. And it's, once it yeah. bites, there's no cure. <laughs> yeah. And it's I'm like sorry. a beacon in the wilderness somehow. So you're it like, I is. think I'll go there. Yeah. So
1: I. I went exploring. I was actually working for an airline at the time, and I, I had the opportunity to fly all these wonderful places at almost nothing. I paid almost nothing to fly and decided, I'm going to go and check out some grad schools, and I wanted to go to seminary. I w- thought I was going to be a um, a pastor, a ordained pastor, and... After exploring a couple places, I went to Boston University and instantly that feeling. If you've ever had it, you know what I'm talking about. I'm home. Yeah. This is it. This is exactly where I need to be. I don't know why. Or you know, experience like, this is my pet. This is my human. This is my familiar. You just know. Yeah. And I felt that way about Boston University. So shout out Terriers. <laughs> and, uh, graduated, found along the way, thankfully, people did sit me down and talk to me about that. And the ordained life was not for me. So once again, wandering in the wilderness, and I accidentally stumbled upon veterinary medicine. My first job took a real big chance on me. A woman has a master's degree. Why does she want to do reception work? And I fell in love with it. I I fell in love with veterinary medicine, and I feel like, once again, I found my place to be. So that's my wandering for 20 years, finding my way to this space.
0: That is not the story that most people think of when they think of who's behind the reception desk at a vet clinic. Like, that's a very, it's a very long and windy road. Um, and I love that you found vetMed after all that and said this is my home and so Kelly you're a veterinary receptionist now and we'll talk more about why you like to use that title um, and you're also uh, looking to be a pet chaplain is that correct
1: So I'm looking to be a uh, I'm heading towards board certified chaplain I mm-hmm. uh, my the first step right now for me is going to be a associate certified chaplain uh, yeah, that that's another conversation for another day. But but I'm, looking, I'm working <laughs> part two. Yeah, I'm working towards being a board certified chaplain, uh, full stop. And with a couple of other people across the country, uh, we're looking at creating veterinary chaplaincy. Mm. Um, there are pet chaplains, and that's actually a registered trademark. So I want to be careful on oh, using okay. that one. Um, I am a pet chaplain. I I do have the the training from them, but. I'm
0: working on being a chaplain within the veterinary industry. Very cool. Yeah, that's super cool. And we'll touch on that some today, but um, but yeah, we are going to save a little bit of that for conversation part two, um, where we'll talk more about grief and, um, and all many of the things that come along with grief, because grief is complex. But today, I, the reason that I wanted to talk to you and that I was so excited um, to meet you is that you are a veterinary receptionist and in no way are you, and I'm using air quotes here, are you just a receptionist? Um, and so, bef- but you know, I, I love that you are so passionate about the veterinary industry and, um, that you have so many different avenues that you've explored in your life. Cause it, it you know, I, I agree with you. I think we should all taste a little bit of everything. It makes us more interesting people and it makes sure that where we are is where we want to be, which is very important. Um, but before we get any further, I was just going to ask you what guides you in your life and work? Mm. Trauma
1: comes to everybody. And it's not your fault that trauma fell upon you, but it is your responsibility to do something with it. And my my response to the trauma that I've experienced in my life is to learn more about it, um, how it affects me, how it affects the world around me. And then I try to turn that around and support others. Some days I do it well, some days I don't. It's, it's a constant journey. But Understanding that everybody is shouldering some level of weight that I never get to know. Um, Everybody is not just a a book, but I only get to see the glossy jacket. I don't even get to read the back. I, I see the title, I see the picture on the front, and hopefully at some point I get to read a few of the words inside their book. And that I try to use that as my guiding principle, whether it's in the office or doing my grief care work or, oh, driving down the
0: Mass Pike. (laughs) Definitely driving down the Mass Pike. I've never met drivers like there are in Boston. OMG. (laughs) (laughs) um, So it's definitely an exercise in everybody's got stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you're driving in massachusetts um so but i i love don't that think people light. in
1: chicago don't get out of this i yeah. have driven down 94 <laughs> and you people in chicago love to you all
0: <laughs> you know um atlanta is also very scary i just experienced that for the first time driving in atlanta is terrifying it's defying experience um, but let's just say everybody you've all got your troubles with driving yeah yeah i mean every everybody's got something i'm from dc you know <laughs> <laughs> um, but Boston gets its own kind of award simply because the streets are totally insane and they're all these little roundabouts and I just don't understand them. Like sometimes if you're, if you're looking at a GPS, like while you're driving in Boston, like the GPS looks like it's gone totally crazy. So I just, I don't know how anybody does it. Or anyway. it just cuts out. Yeah. Or it's like, you know what? I just give up. So should you. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we have public transportation. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Um, well, I, I love that guiding light because you're right. We've all got stuff, and that informs so much of your work, both as a receptionist and as a grief counselor. And I should say grief specialist because it, you really are a specialist in that, and you really are um, are doing such amazing work. And you know, I want to I want to pause on that title of veterinary receptionist because I. Th- it's funny because in a lot of conversations and in our written materials, I try to avoid using the phrase receptionist. I've sort of trained myself to not use that word and to use CSR or um, we at the hospital I was at last, we called them client care specialists or CCSs. Um, and it, it seems like more of a specific title that encompassed so much more of what what that role in, entails. Um, Why does veterinary receptionist in particular ring true for you?
1: So I grew up in the late 80s and 90s. And if you watched Who is the Boss? Mona (laughs) was a wonderful character and she was her daughter's receptionist. And she always just sat there filing her nails or painting them. And I think some people have that idea of a receptionist, somebody who just pushes the paper, gets things done, and then lives their life in between those moments.
0: Like bare minimum.
1: Yes. And when I started um, kind of looking around and, and jobs in the medical field, I saw a lot of medical receptionists. And what an elevation to that title. When you're in the medical field, there's a certain level of professionalism that is inherently expected out of that. And so I, while the jobs I've had do encompass receptionist or CSR, CCA, um, I, I have put down veterinary receptionist as my title on my resume. And it's because I am proud of being a medical receptionist in the veterinary field. I know so much more than just how to work on Word or an Excel document or answer the phone. I know about medications, and I know flag words and trigger words that mean I need to ask for more help or ask more questions. There is a professionalism when when I claim that I'm a receptionist in the medical field, and I want to bring that elevation to the profession in. Now, that said, the title of whoever sits at your front desk does set a tone for how you, you as the professional plan to interact with this person and what you expect out of them. So if you want them to really focus on the client care, and and that's really the, the focal point of the job they're doing, there's nothing wrong with that. But be aware that when you're using that title, you're saying it's the client care first. And what does that mean for your staff? And i liberal arts, I'm really <laughs> focused on the words we use. There mm. are nuances to them. And and that is also a part of my grief care training is to be careful of the words I use. So I'm, I'm very conscientious about this. And, and I recognize I probably think overthink that. But when you're coming up with the title for the person who sits at the front desk, really think what is the focal point of their job and how are they interacting with the multitude of people who are in that space, with the other staff, with vendors, with clients? And what does that mean?
0: That's really interesting, Kelly. I've never heard anyone talk about it like that before. And um, you're right. I mean, when you go to your doctor's office, the, the medical receptionist at a doctor's office or at a hospital are I mean they know so much. There, that's a specialty position where it takes a ton of training and a lot of time to get comfortable with all of the terminology and the the steps that go into figuring out how to make this experience both good for the client, good for the medical team, and accurate, and you know so no mistakes are made. And that all starts at that front desk. And um, it starts on the phone when the person calls ahead, um, in most cases. And um, it really is a specialist position. And no matter what you call it, thinking about it, and rather than kind of using a throwaway term, because it's just what your neighbor down the road uses or what they used at your last practice. Or it's the in vogue name to use. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, it makes a lot of sense to think about that. And I am also a liberal arts kid, so um, I've gotten a lot of crap about this in my life, but I definitely believe that words matter, and that's partly why I have the job I have, because my job is to edit a lot and use words and communicate constantly and connect people and connect ideas, and words are so important. And that doesn't, you know, it's not to say that words are are always going to make or break the situation, but I think we can all be very thoughtful and intentional about what we name Roles and what we call people. So Mm. I love that. Um, You know, one thing when we met, I was thinking about how long have you been a veterinary receptionist now? Going on six years. Okay, six years. So that's longer, I think, than the career of the average vet tech. Um, Mm. I feel like turnover is about five years, or at least that was data that existed a while back, um, is that the average veterinary technician career loss about five years before they think about doing something else and um so for a veterinary receptionist i think we probably see even more turnover in that in that job why do you think that is (laughs) name one of 687 reasons why you think that is there are
1: so many i mean like anything in vet med there's so many nuances and it's no Mm -hmm. one particular thing um and i'll i'll for this one, I really can only speak to my experience. Um, it is a tough job. Yeah. Instead of some, in some days you feel like you're helping everybody out, and you are the Google Maps of your office. <laughs> and some days you feel like the ducks in duck hunt. Everybody (laughs) has got you in their crosshairs. So true. Like you can't please the client, you can't please the doctor, you can't please the 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 technicians or the hospital assistants, and you can't please your medical director, your manager, whoever it may be. You just you have those days where you Mercury went into retrograde when I started this shift, (laughs) and if you know, you know. Yeah. Um, so there there are really days where you feel like the duck and duck hunt. Um, the pay is really low and and I know that is a a common feeling across this across all segments of veterinary medicine and I, and I know that's a huge conversation, but reception work is generally considered an entry level position. You don't have to have any education in veterinary medicine or any medicine. For some people, this is their very first professional job, and they're paid like that. But it's not a living wage. And Mm -hmm. for the amount of work that you have to do, um, a living wage should be expected out of that. This is not something a 16-year-old could ever do. I find that, oh, the small working space. Look at the space your reception team has. I know we all joke about technicians can give you advice on the best deodorant to wear because they're (laughs) always up in each other's armpits. But think about how much they move in and out of that space. Your reception team has one third to one quarter of the space that the rest of your team has. You have a disagreement with somebody, you work on that pet, and then you move to opposite sides of the treatment area. You have that ability. When I'm working up at reception, I can literally touch the person I'm working with for the entire shift. If somehow an alien came down and made us Siamese twins, we could still do our job. That's rough, especially if there are any conflicts that are happening or some... I mean, it doesn't have to be, like, conflict. Right. It it can just be tension of how to handle a difficult client and and you each have different approaches you are in such a bubble and the eyes are always on you so 1984 um <laughs> because you know you've got the cameras because you have to there's there's medications around you've got clients who are always seeing you you can't make facial expressions you can't run into back roll your eyes stomp your feet I mean maybe you can and then come back but you're always on Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lack of education and growth opportunities. Mm. You become a CSR and maybe the next thing, next elevation is leadership or some sort of supervisor management. Well, not everybody is destined for that. I'm not. I, I am definitely not management material. I don't <laughs> want to formally lead people in in their positions. Um, I don't want to have that level of authority. I I that's just not who
0: I am. Um And it's good. But, we don't want everybody to wanna be managers, no, right? No, you don't there's want no bad room managers. For that many people to be managers. Well
1: but there's no room for bad managers. Right. Management that, is hard enough and if your heart is not in it and you know that you don't have the skill set for it. Yeah. Don't be in that position. Yeah. Just don't. (laughs) And I would say the last thing is a lack of agency. Mm. Yeah, uh, I've been with places or been in positions where they say you're empowered to do this, but the moment you try to do that, why did you do it? That's costing us money. And that dichotomy of you have agency, but don't you dare use it.
0: Right. You can do it, but not like that.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Like... If you're going to empower your staff, be very clear about how they are empowered to do things. Um, one of the places I worked, I love this, if if it was really busy and, I mean, it was a smaller place, but if it was really busy and we were backed up, I was allowed to order pizza for people. And, and rather than people being hangry, now they're eating something. I've cared for them. The staff has a moment to catch up. and. That abated a lot. Or I could order somebody a coffee because they'd been there for twelve hours with their sick pet and were we're not gonna leave their side. Like that's an empowerment that I can actually care for that client while the rest of the team really cares for their pet. Like in fact, that's something I do when um, when I have codes or, or serious cases come in. I'm talking to the client, getting the information, and I will say to them, we're all here for you. They're going to focus on Fluffy. My name is Kelly, and I am here for you. That's my only job right now. Whatever you need, you let them know you need me and I got you. Like, that's empowerment. That. Yeah. Empower your CSRs. We, we are powerful creatures.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, for sure. And that empowerment, um, just the idea that, you know, that client is trusting the veterinary team with their pet and they're probably pretty stressed out because you work in emergency right now, right? Yes. So things are pretty, are pretty stressful there. Um, people aren't coming in to have like a ear infection recheck <laughs> there um, as a general rule. And so that stressed out client needs more taken care of than most people. Um, because they're in that that anxious, stressed out state. They know it's gonna cost a lot of money probably and they're freaked out about what's going on that they can't see. Um, and to have you be the person that's trusted to say, what can I do for you, for that client? That's a lot of trust because that, even though we're here to take care of the pets, like as a veterinary profession, the the pets don't come alone. And the client is the one who makes the decisions and the one who's going to make that interaction go smoothly or not go smoothly. And for you to take care of the client gives you a lot of control over what the rest of the team's experience is going to be like.
1: Well, and the Um, team knows exactly who to go to to get stuff mm -hmm. from the client. Rather than them having to leave the treatment area, they can call up to reception Hey, is Kelly there? Okay, I need you to go talk to Fluffy's owners. We need to get this information. Can you call their RDVM and get this? Like, there's a point of contact for the front and for the back to allow better communication. Yeah, and better use of time.
0: Yeah, that makes so much sense. And the client doesn't feel like they're being shuffled around from person to person or having to tell the same story three times. That is super annoying. Mm-hmm. I've been there. As the client, I already now. talked I to somebody like about this. Well, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. They're in the middle of taking care of someone else right now. So they've <laughs> already forgotten you. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I, I can see. So all of that is, is a lot. I mean, as, as somebody who worked at a front desk in a vet hospital, a very small vet hospital in LA, I worked at the front desk with one other person, you know, at a time, um, for a few months before I became an assistant. And, um, this is when I was, uh, applying to vet schools and it was a really hard job. It was a really hard job. And our boss was kind of a micromanager, you know, she would come and like stand over your shoulder and like dictate to you what you're supposed to be doing. And, and I get why, because she had a lot of brand new people who didn't stay and she couldn't really trust them to do it. But she also, you know, because that was the system, we didn't have a lot of training, so we didn't feel like we had agency at all. Like we had no power. Everything went on a note and the note went back to doctor. And that was like that was the system. And we we all called it doctor, just doctor. Have you seen doctor? It was a, it's a <laughs> choice. Anyway, um, I, hope I got you only a lo- have one at that point. <laughs> I got a lot we had two, but the other one was had a name. <laughs> like when you said doctor, everybody knew who you were talking about. I learned a lot at that hospital. And, um, you know, some of it, some of it really helpful and useful and some of it about like what maybe we could be doing differently in small hospitals. Um, I'm grateful for all of that experience, but it was a really, really hard job. And it gave me a really good insight into what it's like to work at that front desk and be the the sort of face of the hospital, but also not have power to control anything that was going to happen to those clients or those pets. And um, I can imagine that over time, that would just be enough that people would not want to stay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot about the experience that we maybe can't fully control, but we can give our veterinary reception teams the ability to grow and flourish in ways in their jobs that maybe we don't always think about. So what do you feel like that looks like? Like, how can we create more opportunities and encourage more CSRs, veterinary receptionists, to grow and develop?
1: I would steal from the business models of administrative assistant. They come in three levels. Um, administrative assistant one is an entry level position. If you've never had experience, you come in as a level one. And then usually after about five years of experience or so, uh, you've learned enough skill sets to move into a level two. And then three is usually working for more executives, C-suites, and then that's when you move into um, personal assistant area. Uh, I would love to see that utilized, especially your larger corporations, where you have the opportunity to move between hospitals and mm. and and facilitate various different things. You, you hire for level one. And best advice I got, give yourself six months to feel like you know what you're doing before you make any judgment about whether or not I should stay. That was one of the best things I learned when I when I started. Because month two is, as an overachiever and somebody who loves to learn and I'm not quite getting it. I mean, I would leave in tears. Yeah. And I would tell myself, it hasn't been in six months. It hasn't been six months. And <laughs> lo and behold, about six months, I could start pronouncing cephamoxidine. And it, it just rolled off the tongue. I, butorphanol, I, I still can. It's still torp. But <laughs> I'm pretty sure I did not pronounce that correctly. Nope, that was right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> six years and I got it. Uh, <laughs> but i needed 6 months to really feel like i knew what was happening and if we give people the opportunity to make lateral moves mm. in this you know your your pay is not just dependent upon how many years you've been here and um cost of living increase but that you have gained knowledge and you have worked towards this you know, i could be a level 2 veterinary receptionist and not take on management training responsibilities or i love to train new receptionists love it. it it's it's fun i show them my techniques and they learn from others so when you're a level 2 you can have someone sit next to you and um, level 1s know that you're a good person to come to because you have that experience and education and you're not uh, going to yell at them
0: <laughs> yes
1: cuz you've been around for a while you yeah.
0: <laughs> You've lived it, um, like not everybody likes to train and teach no, so that's a very important thing for for a level one to know, yeah, is or who they um, can go as, to and not risk their their mental health at that moment.
1: Well, the other thing is I when when I learned work for a very large corporation, I was able to go and work at other hospitals within the network. So level one, your job is to be in your home hospital learn, learn the basic skills. You hit level two. Well, now I can start traveling to the other hospitals. And that's where I fell in love with ER. I mean, that's how it all started Mm. trickling in. And then you can have your level threes. And that's when if people want to be in supervisory or management roles, you start pulling from there, but you have a chance to glean. And again, it's that lateral move. So many other companies and positions, have lateral moves. And unfortunately, with your CSRs, reception team, there's no lateral move. The only lateral move you can really make is to take a new position as a hospital assistant. Mm-hmm. So that's something I would definitely borrow. Um, Two, stop talking about how hard our jobs are. We know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you went into work every day and somebody said, I could never do your job. It's so hard. You have the hardest job in the hospital. Why would you stay?
0: Well, especially if you're not being compensated particularly well, like I, I would say that it's arguable whether that happens with all the roles, because at some point somebody says that, you know, to you they or do, about you. I, I hear it so much from other people I work with. And mm-hmm. I and I think hear... people think they're helping when they say that they're trying to give you recognition, they, but it yeah. I can see why that would wear on you.
1: It does well if I told you every day how hard it must be to be a brunette, and when <laughs> when the the beauty standard is being a blonde. Yeah. At some point, would you consider being a blonde? I mean, this is weird because I just got these highlights in. Um, <laughs> bad example, isn't it?
0: <laughs> no, I see what you mean, though. It's like, you know, maybe stop drumming into me that it's hard.
1: I mean my job has beautiful fulfilling moments when
0: mm-hmm.
1: when I am part of helping someone transition their pet and and honor their pet into the next thing of existence after after this plane of existence and I help them memorialize that to um help them pick out the urn or comfort them that yes as much as the medical team has said yes I I'm coming in as representative of the average person saying yes, it's it's an okay thing to do. Or I, I I love when I can walk around with snacks and beverages and would you like something to eat or drink? I mean, yes, it's the flight attendant moment of the hospital, but there are real moments of joy and connection uh, when you learn how to pronounce these medications. When you answer a phone call and you are able to de-escalate, there are real moments of joy. So I would turn this back to the rest of the team. What do you think is the joy of being part of your reception team? Because if you can't answer that, how will they find it? So stop telling us our job is hard. We know that. Help us find the joy because we know the joy that you have. You're hands-on making pets feel better. What a
0: joy. Help I us find that. our joy, too. I and love that so much. No one's ever said that, that I've yeah, heard.
1: There, there's real joy in my job, and that's what keeps me going.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then lean into our skill sets. You know, it, we, We're joking about the liberal arts thing, but I have worked with Some people who have amazing backgrounds. I worked with a a woman who is an undertaker. Well, she studied to be an undertaker. Um, I work with a woman who used to be a professional wrestler when she was younger. Uh, Women who, and this is mostly women, uh, but have psychology degrees and have studied art or they love to rock climb. There's so many skill sets, because most of us did not intend to end up in veterinary medicine. We didn't study animal science with the intention of being here. We generally accidentally fell into it. And maybe they want to take care of things like, do you have somebody who studied English have them work on your social media or create a quarterly newsletter to go out to your clients about what's happening in the hospital and who are the members of your team and and lift that up or creating new patient packets. I used to do that and I loved it. It, it Just putting all the little goodies together. Someone like me who loves to take care of the aftercare and be responsible for making sure that we have the up-to-date information from our crematorium or they're following up to make sure that people know the ashes have come back or other memorial items have come back, and um, you are very sensitive to to that phone call because it's a sensitive phone call. Mm-hmm. Um, even helping with making bandages and flushes, like how we want to utilize our skill sets, uh, organizational skill. Oh my gosh, so many organizational people in your reception team. Yes we want to be utilized to the fullness of our personhood not not to to maximize the output per hour that we're there but see me as a person Mm -hmm. and and who i am and what i love and then help me utilize that you've got so many skilled people in your csr team and your veterinary team
0: if you're a fan of Central Line, there's a good chance you're a super fan of VetMed. Well, I've got big news. AHA Con, the ultimate event for veterinary super fans, is coming to San Diego, the home of the con, this September. Level up your skills, knowledge, and connection with more medical and scientific tracks, a killer keynote, and interactive learning experiences for the entire veterinary team. Early bird registration is open now. Visit aha.org slash aha con. That's aha.org slash A-A-H-A-C-O-N to learn more and save your spot. That's amazing. And as you're talking, I'm picturing all of the people that I've met on CSR teams who are multi-talented and who had skills that sort of came out like we had somebody who was really good at illustrating and could do like cartoons and we had somebody who was a talented photographer and she's really interested in film we actually had somebody who was going to go to school to be an undertaker um at in the csr team at, at my last hospital and i think a lot of times veterinary receptionists who have outside interests um or who have aspirations to do something else are sort of seen as like temporary. And it's like, well, they're space fillers until they go off to school or whatever. And I wonder how many times we actually ask them, like, if you could stay and use some of those skills or grow some of those skills and use them for our hospital, for veterinary medicine, would you? Because we at least many practices will happily pay like a marketing company to run their website and they'll put out like a stock newsletter. You know, there'll be somebody at the marketing company who's like writing a newsletter for the clinic and sending it out. And it's very impersonal a lot of times. And I wonder what would happen if you took that English major slash, you know, aspiring creative writer um, on your team and said, Hey, you know, once a month, would you do this? Because it would be so personal. And there would be photos of your team and they might not be stock photo quality, but they'd be of your team. Mm -hmm. And those personal connections to your practice are worth so much more than a perfectly polished newsletter. Um, It's just, you know, there's, it takes somebody to coordinate these things. And I know people are thinking like, yeah, but I just would wish somebody would just do this for me. But give them the chance to do it for you and give them, give pay them, six them the money hours to, <laughs> that you would pay like that marketing company to do it yeah
1: to, to just go into another room and like six hours yeah six hours a month or even a quarter to go off and fulfill their passion in your workplace yeah <sighs>
0: fabulous yeah you said something when We were talking before we we recorded. um, I wrote it down because you. (laughs) So for people listening slash watching, Kelly does this thing where she drops these truth nuggets that are like perfectly put. That you're just like, why didn't anybody ever say that to me? I'm I'm just like a
1: bunny hopping around, dropping nuggets.
0: (laughs) Yes, exactly. Sort of. I mean, they're happy little nuggets. They're happy little nuggets. Yeah. I mean, they're necessary for life. So, but (laughs) you said this one thing because it it was sort of related to, it made me think of it because you had said something just now where you're like, stop telling us our jobs are hard, you know, help us find the joy. That's a nugget for sure. I'm going to take that with me. You know, I I always thought that it was helpful to, to show that you knew how hard, you know, your reception team had it but also like if that's all you talk about and you don't talk about the beautiful parts of course that is going to seem like yeah my job really sucks. Like why would I keep why, why would I keep doing this? <laughs> that was a good phase, exactly right. Um and you said something else when we talked earlier. You said when we do our job right, everybody else looks better. And that made me think of just how, what you were saying about how If you're a client care specialist or a client services specialist, then it is so client focused. But the fact is that as a veterinary receptionist, you also have a connection to the entire team that nobody else has. Um, You're the conduit between the client and the rest of the team, and you have the power to make the rest of the team look like we have our stuff together or look like we absolutely have no idea what we're doing. That is a very important job. And like that to me is kind of is what I could see motivating me on a daily basis, especially if clients weren't being that nice to me, because you know that on the other the flip side of that coin, you can always be serving the team as a whole by doing that. How much do you think about that during your daily life? Like, does that is that a motivator for you?
1: Wow. I I think it just hangs around in the haze of the background. Mm-hmm. It's always there. I mean think about the last flight you took and like the how much did your flight attendant contribute to that? Now, what was your flight attendant's name? Who is the one who came up and down the aisle and offered you the beverage? They wore a name tag. Your CSRs have to work three times harder to be remembered. Even if we're sitting in front of them the entire time, the people they remember are the technician and the doctor because they were the ones who were directly working on the pet.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But if they have a bad experience, it usually will well part of the bad experience will be related to your reception team and how they interacted with them uh, but when we're doing it right i i don't often have people remember my name um i'll sometimes get responses back of that lady up at reception on that day she she was fabulous they they don't remember my name and you know what? That's okay. But I see how much that elevated the experience. They got me right back to, you know, Fluffy right back. And then I met with this doctor and this tech and, and this assistant. It's it's how I handled it on the phone. And I, 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 I'm kind of dancing around this, but it's okay that they don't remember me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But when I see that how much they appreciated the team, I'm part of that team. Yes. Even if I am not singled out, because I know I'm going to have to work way harder to do that. And even if I put my blood, sweat, and tears into it, they may not remember me, but they remember how I made them felt. Yes. That's enough.
0: You know, and I, I think in emergency, it's probably more common then we think that, that clients don't remember the names of anybody on the team. Cause like if you're not wearing a name tag, especially, um, but like I took my dog into emergency a few weeks ago for neck pain Um, and I had a fantastic experience. I went, I traveled half an hour to go to this ER, even though there are ones closer to me because I had a friend recommended and and they were amazing. Um, Shout out to evolution in Denver, (laughs) in Lakewood. And the doctor who was working that day, I think she may have been a relief doctor because the, the staff didn't know her very well. She wasn't, she was wearing scrubs and she didn't have a name tag on. And I remember having to ask what her name was when I was checking out just because it, she took such good care of us. Um And I don't remember it. I was stressed out that entire time. I was so worried about my dog cause He's a 100 years old, you know, and every time he has something go wrong, I think it's like the last thing. Um I don't, but I remember feeling taken care of and mm-hmm. they had a technician who was like a Chihuahua Whisperer, and she carried him around, you know, and I knew he was going to be in good hands, even though I couldn't be with him the whole time.
1: Also that a is, massive skill set that is completely underrated
0: is Chihuahua absolutely. Whisperer. Yes, absolutely. Like, there's always one, and you just hope that they're on that day when you have to come in on emergency with your with your mean Chihuahua, because he is very good at it, like, very good at it. <laughs> um, and, you know, especially if he needs, like, handling of any kind, you know. Um, but, uh I don't remember her name either. And I wish I did, you know, but the respect and the gratitude that I have for them is undiminished, whether or not I know their names. And if we have to go back and I see them again, I will remember because it'll be more than once, but most likely I won't ever see them again. And I'm super grateful to them. And you're right. It is about the feeling that comes with that visit that that client goes home with. Like, I have no idea what went on in that treatment area because it wasn't an open hospital. I didn't see it. But I left feeling like I trusted that team because of the way I was treated and the way that I saw them treating him in front of me. And you can't you can't pay enough money for that experience, you know. Um, and and the front office team is a huge, huge part of that. So,
1: Okay. I remove a lot of makeup from my scrubs for people crying oh. on me. <laughs> yeah.
0: I, That's, it. That's why CSRs need a scrub allowance, everyone.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. And um, embroider their names on their scrubs. Yeah. Make it special. It says, I think they're going to stay. I'm going to put the money into personalizing this because I believe they're going to stay. I love that. I mean, when you go to restaurants or hotels, you know they're they're printing out those labels and slapping it on a generic name badge. Sometimes because, it's like the tape over the oh name. Oh my god! You, know? you can see it. It's <laughs> so obvious. These people are transient. Yeah. They're here for a season and then they're gone. But when I was able to get my name embroidered on my scrub, I felt like I belonged. Like mm. they expected me to stay. So if your budget can allow for it, or if you can get, um, if somebody has a sewing machine that does this, embroider your team's name on scrubs. I, truly, you, you are going to make them feel like they belong.
0: I love that so much, yeah. Um, it's a very small expense for a very big gesture. Um, oh, and I love that now I get to put my credentials on
1: so, I mean, Ooh. I'm not I'm not a CVT or mm-hmm. any letter VT, um, but I get to put my master's um, yeah. credential on there. And and I love that I am honored for the education I have. And if other people go and get uh, like compassion fatigue certification, they can add that to the end. Show the training that your entire team has. Yeah. Fear free certification. We are that all on there. professionals. We, we are working in a professional industry. It mm-hmm. doesn't take much to allow people to do that. And, and it's an, a recognition, again, of their personhood and the things that they've gone out to do. Love Please that. Please do it.
0: Please do that. Yeah. Love it. Okay. So that's a really good um, segue into the, the last real question I was going to ask you, because that is a concrete thing that people can do like tomorrow, To make their front office team feel just as valued as their technician team, because that that idea of like, okay, you're part of the team now, not like you're a warm body in this rolling chair, like next to this other warm body. Like, oh yes, and get re- us rolling chairs, please. <laughs> yeah, please, but um, please. but be careful when you sit in the rolling chairs because I remember some very near death experiences. <laughs> like when the, the chairs were just too rolling on those slippery floors. Like oh my gosh. Anyway, um, <clears throat> Rebecca, if you're watching, I'm so sorry about that <laughs> chair
1: experience.
0: <laughs> I'm so sorry. You know, I used to I used to work um, when I started working <laughs> from home. I was working for clinicians brief, and I was working. Um, from home for the first time and i spent a lot of time at my desk and i wasn't used to it and so i got like one of those balls like a fitness ball to sit on because somebody was like oh this way you won't get so fatigued your like hip flexors like it yeah i fell off that ball so many times like one time it just for some reason the floor in my den was like a little sloped like this and so every time i wasn't sitting on it it would roll away from me and i would think it was there and it was not there this is why they make those chairs with the, like, bouncy ball on. Anyway. Yeah. Sympathy. Sympathy. Especially if clients are looking at you and it happens.
1: <laughs> anyway. You know, sometimes you need that laugh.
0: Yeah. I mean, sometimes it could definitely break the tension. I could There's see that. There's not
1: much to laugh about at the ER, so we <laughs> grab onto everything.
0: Yeah. As long as you don't then need the ER afterwards. Yeah. Fair. Um, but so the question that I was going to ask you is about taking from – because I, I really believe that, like – You're right. We don't need bad managers. There are some bad managers out there for the most part. I think management and leaders in vet practices have good intent. And if they're listening to this, they definitely have good intent. You know, they want to help. They want to make their team feel valued. But taking that step, bridging the gap from good intent to effective execution is hard, um it takes time sometimes it takes resources sometimes it takes permission from somebody who wasn't listening to this episode or doesn't see things the same way so like can you can you aside from the scrubs which is a fantastic tip and that could be it we could be done now but if you have any other suggestions or tips for like ways that things that management could do to bridge that gap to say like our intent has always been here but now we really want to show you
1: Oh, um, you know, your your reception team is really good for helping you bridge that gap. If you mm-hmm. find that you just don't have the time to get it done, maybe your reception team can help, whether it's putting up fun festive decorations and, and just making the place feel a little more homey or um, taking over ordering snacks for the the reception area. Um, my dog's day camp because, of course, my dogs go to day camp. <laughs> uh, has I, I love this on their social media. They have camper of the week, and I hear <laughs> about all these other dogs. And now I get to see pictures of them, and I get a little blurb about who they are, and I love this. So you don't need to put it out on social media. Not everybody is comfortable with that, but do some sort of internal thing where. Your employee of the month is not necessarily somebody who was the best employee of the month, because honestly, that's always going to be like your technician or your doctor.
0: Um, That's not fair, is it?
1: No, but just pick a month or, you know, that they're the only one that has a birthday that month and, and recognize them or every other week or once a week, depending on how big your team is, and do a little internal blurb about who who are the people in your neighborhood and what do they thanks for that earworm yeah (laughs) who
0: are the people in your hospital Um, uh all you 70s and 80s babies out there
1: (laughs) your like heart just got warmed yeah Um, everyone else is like what what um elmo Uh, (laughs) but have them get to know each other in this way. And what is it you do outside of work? Maybe you're a diehard gamer and somebody else is, you know, they're a closeted Dungeons and Dragons person. And now you've got something in common to talk about. Uh, Have people get to know each other and facilitate more authentic personal communication that is an all by itself, a team builder that you are not responsible for. It Just offering the opportunity for people to better get to know each other is something that you can make a commitment to and then have somebody else on the team who loves doing communications or something like that take over. Going back to the agency thing, really be clear with your team about when Mm -hmm. things come up, you know, that's a great opportunity to talk about what is your agency in this. And then this is really going to go for managers. Write that stuff down. If, if you've got a, a document file or a Google file, write down, I gave my staff permission to, because if they ever have to push back on you, you can go, oh, yeah, I did that. Yeah. Well, revisit time. Own, yes, I said it oops, now we need to revisit. Um, But... I like that. Clear is
0: kind, right?
1: Yes. People have best intentions. Mm -hmm. We we said that before. People have best intentions. They want to do things right. We're human and we make
0: mistakes. Yeah. Kelly, I could talk to you all day. Luckily, we will have another episode coming up. So we'll get to talk some more. Um, But for now, I think that's a good place to leave it. I love all of your advice and your passion for the industry that you never meant to end up in (laughs) and now clearly are making a home in.
1: (laughs) Can I just say a shout out for a couple of CEs? Do it. Um, Your reception team really doesn't get to take advantage of a lot of the CEs out there. I While I'm interested in DCM, how am I ever going to use that? I'm not going to be able to talk to a client about that. I'm really going to be doing it for my own dogs. But I would love to see some CE out there, especially since your hospital assistants, your reception team are brand new. Let's do CE on medical terminology and abbreviations. Um, I need to know that SX means surgery and TX means treatment, or Q means how frequently. Um, I need to know that methadone really cannot be abbreviated. (laughs) <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> yes, uh, and and there're certain things you should never write in the record. <laughs> yes.
1: Absolutely. Let, let's do some basic terminology CE like CE090. Uh not even CE100, but let's let, let's start with that. Um what are flags that you need to ask more questions or get a professional on the phone, like get a doctor or a lead technician? You know, my cat's having difficulty breathing. Is it open mouth breathing? Like, you're brand new. You don't know to ask that question. Yeah. Um, or my my dog's a little lethargic. What do you mean by lethargic? Because that's been a, a, since the pandemic and curbside, That's been a trigger word that so many people use Mm -hmm. and thinking some of them just, that's what they use. Some of them think that that's going to get them to the front of the the line. Yeah. What do you mean by lethargic? But training your staff or CEs on how to recognize common client comments that need more. Um, DEI training. Your reception yeah. team, snap, snap, snap. Your your reception team is literally encountering everyone. We need to know um, anti-Semitic training, um, anti LGBTQ discrimination training, anti racism training, and to confront your own bias. Mm-hmm. I confronted a lot of that in my grad school. I'm still confronting that on a daily basis and having to go. Check yourself. Where's your privilege? What are you doing right now?
0: So DEI important. training.
1: I mean, we, we've we seen a lot of this happen, unfortunately, to a number of our um, veterinarians recently. And my shout out to those of you who have turned it around as a training opportunity for the rest of us with love and compassion. But your reception team is full on facing it with the general public. We need to have more DEI CE. Um, And de-escalation training. We don't need to be SWAT trained,
0: but... (laughs) Hopefully the de-escalation training will keep you from needing to be SWAT trained. Exactly. (laughs) Like We're going to be the front line of an
1: angry client. Yeah. Absolutely. What can we do to bring that down to ensure people, I'm not the person to take care of this, but I'm going to make sure you're handed off to the person who can. How do we prevent people from screaming in our lobbies? I never should have come here. I should have gone to X hospital instead. De escalation training. Absolutely. There, there are CEs we could be doing with the whole team, but reception specifically. Um, and I, I really hope somebody out there starts providing reception focused
0: training that the rest of the team can utilize. I love all those ideas, and of course, as a content creator and in a position at Aha to make suggestions about stuff like this, um, I am making a note of that. And when we when we get the transcript for this episode, I'm going to be taking a lot of notes and sending them to to the rest of of our team because I think those are all fantastic ideas. And um, you know, it reminds me we have this one one page in our pain management guidelines toolkit. Um, which you can find online at the Pain Management Guidelines site. Um, It's a free download and it's a toolkit that contains resources for the whole team. And one of the pages is a, I think there's two pages that are a client care corner. And um, it's got all these speech bubbles of like things that clients say that might actually mean their pet's in pain, but none of them are saying my pet is in pain, you know? And we need like a translation like that, for so many other situations. Like you said, what are the follow-up questions to ask? What What is the thing that instantly in your brain is like the red light goes on and you have to go to the big red phone, you know, versus mm-hmm. like, take a note. Um, and that is, seems like such an obvious thing. And yet I haven't seen that.
1: No, it, it's kind of an instinct thing for doing it throughout the years. I, mm-hmm. Because I have been in the field almost six years and I had a case recently we were full and we were asking people to uh, kind of stay in their cars because the weather was awful and, until we could triage. And I went to the team. I said, hey, something about this phone call seems wrong. The, the owner's tone of voice is off and they're not using any of the flag trigger words, but it's, it's enough stuff together. Like, can someone just go put eyes on this pet and make sure it's okay to wait for a full triage? and it turns out we caught it just before it was going to become a a critical situation like the pet really needed to be seen it wasn't critical but if we had waited until we could triage it it really could have become critical yeah and knowing that by experience may have saved that pet's life yeah like i i needed to be the advocate for that patient and i i just love to to see more of it, there are things that we can do beyond instinct. There, there's just certain words that people use, or while it may re- vary from region to region, there are certain tones of voice mm-hmm. that you know this is not right. Yeah, um, we've actually used the term; um, it's an owner code. Ah, like the pet is stable, but the owner is not. Yeah, and sometimes we just like it's it's a cue to the team. We don't need to bring out the crash cart, but we do need to address this so the owner doesn't escalate. Again, de-escalation training. Yeah. Like, if you can put – someone can come out, put eyes on the pet, you are okay to wait until we can do a full triage. This this is a mini triage, like this is a mini mani-pedi. Right. Um, it, it takes so much stress out of the experience, and then we can take over from that point – how can I help you? I'm here for you. What else can I do for you? And the team said we're okay, but if anything changes, I know who to call. Yeah. Ghostbusters. No. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and it sometimes, that's a good point that sometimes de escalation is just taking a minute to let the client know they're heard. It doesn't yes. even have to be like a special technique. It's just not saying, hey, you have to wait your turn. It's saying, okay. This client is really upset. It's going to take me two minutes to decide whether they're right or they need or they just need to, you know, they need to be reassured in this moment. Um, And that's something that I know I've been guilty of not taking the time to do because I've been indignant that clients would think that that their situation was more important than what I was working on. Not good. That's not it's not like the the suffering Olympics. Like if they're that upset, they're suffering whether or not the pet is actually critical.
1: Yeah, and I love when we can just say, look, your your pet is stable enough to wait a little mm-hmm. while. We've got a patient who needs us right now. That patient cannot wait. Um but I I I see you. I see your pet. We're going to be okay if you wait 20 more minutes. Yeah. <sighs> okay, cuz now I know when you leave for another pet, that pet can't wait 20 minutes. Yeah. And your CSO- ours can take over and say, what is, um, oh, yeah, what is urgent versus critical?
0: Because mm-hmm.
1: people think, well, it, my pet's having an emergency. It's an ear infection. Literally, I've had people say that this is an emergency. He has an ear infection. Okay, well, they're with a critical case pace, pace right now. What does critical mean? It means the patient's not breathing or doesn't have a heartbeat. Oh, we can do that. We can we can go to that chart with the colors and say, you know, this is what it is. They they've put your pet as like stage green. We can, which is to. a good thing.
0: Yes, <laughs> it's a good thing to be stage green. <laughs> so medically,
1: this is amazing. <laughs> yes, time wise, this is awful. Yes. Do you want to order Great news? Do you you want to order are... Grubhub? <laughs> yeah. You can... Let me give you the the address. Let me give you the tips on how to put it in. <laughs> They can deliver it to the front desk and I'll bring it right to
0: you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I am so sad that they did not have Grubhub when I was in vet school. Oh, anyway. Well, Kelly, thank you. Like, Thank you so much for all of this. And I want to make sure that people can find you um, because you are as as are all of our veterinary reception team members. You are unique and you're an onion meaning you have many layers and I'll make you cry <laughs> and you'll make us cry yeah stay tuned for the next episode with Kelly Johnson <laughs> um, but uh but where can listeners find you Oh I am
1: all over the place so I do have a website it's veterinarychaplaincy.com but I'm also on LinkedIn uh it's Kelly Dresher Johnson and I'm I'm on Facebook my veterinary chaplaincy has a page on Facebook uh I I think I have an
0: Instagram. I forgot. Uh, we'll put all the links in the show notes that we can find.
1: I'm I'm everywhere. I'm like Visa, I'm everywhere you want to be.
0: <laughs> um and with Grubhub and <laughs> and a kind word. And I have a DoorDash account too, if you want to send me something. <laughs> Kelly, thank you so much. And um we'll be talking to you again soon about grief. Um, and even though it's going to be about grief, I have a feeling we'll we'll be doing plenty of giggling on that episode too. And I love that about you. (laughs) Kelly, thanks so much. Thanks to all of you for listening. We'll catch you next time on Central Line. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Central Line, the AHA podcast. If you love what you hear, please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. For more resources to help you simplify your journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine, we invite you to visit aha.org. That's A-A-H-A dot O-R-G.